Welcome to Soulcraft Stories. These are conversations with people that are, in spite of the challenges, hurdles, and the mundane, are writing meaningful and fulfilling life stories. Like you and me, they have families, jobs, responsibilities, basically real-life stuff we all deal with. But they aren't waiting for someday, because that day might be too late to get your story started. They have, in their own ways, fought back against the resistance of excuses, society, laziness, and a bunch of other crap that, in the end, when the final chapter is written, is meaningless anyways. They've pursued travel, overcome addictions, learned new skills, and set big goals for themselves. Their stories aren't unique, but they're unique to them. So join me as we learn from each one of them and take their insight, advice, and turn it into permission for ourselves to stop procrastinating and start writing our own great life story. I have Cameron Kelsey joining me this afternoon on a um, chilly Florida day. It's 55, but I know up in uh, Gallatin, is it Gallatin, I believe, Gateway, Montana, Cameron Kelsey of Nine Quarter Circle Ranch is joining us. And it's a bit chillier up there. So Cameron, welcome from the uh, snowy north up there. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to do this. Awesome, man. Let me start off. First question, actually, is the kind of history and or meaning behind the name of, of your ranch, Nine Quarter Circle Ranch. Yeah, so uh, it's the name comes from the brand, and that's how you read the brand. And it's obviously a, a number nine with a quarter circle underneath of it. And uh, the, the history behind the brand is uh, it was first registered uh, with this property when it was homesteaded in the late 1890s. And, uh, and the, the gentleman that homesteaded out here chose this brand for his livestock. And, uh, and then the brand has just stayed associated with this property ever since. Uh, we don't exactly know why he chose the number nine uh, or the quarter circle, but uh, it's just been associated with this property. And as it's changed ownership, uh, the, the brand stayed with the, the ranch. And, uh, and so we just kept that name and, and kept it going. Awesome. Now for us suburbanites and city slickers, you say the word brand and a lot of people in our world will think of Nike and Reebok and Amazon. You're referring to a different type of brand. So just for clarification, fill uh, the listeners in on what you mean by brand. Sure. Yeah. And it, it probably all originated from the, the word brand that I'm referring to initially. Um, but it was a way to identify livestock in particular back in the you know, turn of the century or even before that, uh, really in like the 1800s when, when uh, we were colonizing the West, there were no fences, there was no property. And so cattle and horses were just free roaming and, and individuals would brand with a hot metal iron on the sides or, or hips or ribs of specific animals and put a permanent mark on them that couldn't be removed so that they could identify their livestock from the other ranchers around the area. And so uh, when we still do brand our horses today, um, and it is still, you know, a, a thing in, in today's world, even um, to identify livestock. And so like say it's a, it's a metal brand that you heat up and then, uh, you know, I guess essentially burn this, the skin and uh, put a permanent mark on the animal so that it could be identified as who's the owner. Right. So a lot of, a lot of tradition and history there. Now, do you, you do it nowadays for the more tradition of it, or is there a, you know, more of a practical where you're still, your horses are out on opened, you know, like BLM land grazing, for example, and you do need to identify them on occasion. Yep. And, uh, yeah. There, I mean, it is still a practical sense. Uh, there's, I think, I don't know exactly how many States, but I think there's five or six States that still recognize brands as uh, you know, a, an identifier, and Montana is one of those, and it it has come into play several times. You know, our horses get out of our pasture, and they're out, you know, alongside the road. Somebody can quickly see the brand on the on the hip there, and they know whose horse that is, and they can call the Department of Livestock or whoever the sheriff's department, and they would be able to track down the records, 
and find that that horse is owned to the ranch here and, and get it back to the rightful owner. So it is still a practical sense. Um, and, and like say, you know, most places in Montana will still brand their horses and cattle. Okay. Neat. Great, great history lesson too there. I appreciate that. So tell me with that, there comes a lot of the history and, and with history comes tradition. You're third generation on the ranch, correct? Correct. Yep. And yep. Uh, I, so tell us a little bit about how the ranch started from your grandfather and, and how it came to be, because I think tradition and history is intertwined with all our stories and, and yours is kind of a, a different, unique one than what a lot of us experience in terms of tradition. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, like I was saying, the ranch originally was a homestead back in the 1890s and, uh, you know, as, as settlers were moving out across the West, they were staking their claims on, you know, parts of the country. And, uh, and so it started out as a, basically a 160 acre homestead. And, uh, and then it uh, kind of changed hands a few times. Uh, most people in that time frame were trying to raise livestock, cattle, uh, especially. And, uh, and it was a, it's a pretty harsh, remote um, environment here. We sit at about 7,000 feet in elevation. And uh, you know, wow. like I say, winter time is a good seven months long up here. And over the first 30 or 40 years, a number of people, you know, bought the property and tried to raise livestock and pretty quickly realized that it wasn't very profitable and, and you would end up losing a lot of cattle to weather, predation, uh, a number of issues. And so around 1912, uh, a wealthy family from Chicago bought the ranch and they are the ones that kind of started the dude ranch, so to speak. And they were bringing in their friends and clients from the Chicago area to come experience the West. And, uh, and so from 1912 uh, through the, the early 40s, it was owned by that family. And during that time, my grandfather had gone to high school and college in Bozeman, Montana, and he had traveled up the Gallatin Canyon uh, and, and hunted and fished in this area and had seen the ranch and uh, always wanted to own a ranch and, and live the to kind of the Western lifestyle. And uh, ultimately he ended up going to the war, World War II. And, and so we took him away overseas. And when he returned in 1945, he, uh, on his way home back to Bozeman, he stopped in Chicago and talked with that family about buying this ranch uh, because he had seen it in college and they initially told him no and then early in the spring of 1946 he uh, was contacted by the butler family and they offered to sell the ranch to him so he scraped up every penny he could come across and and bought this this ranch and uh, from there he just started building it up and adding more cabins and kind of fixing it up it had gone into a pretty big state of disrepair from, you know, the depression on through the, the war, there hadn't been much improvement done on it. And so it was fairly dilapidated and fallen down and needed a lot of help. And so over the next 30, 40 years, he put in a lot of effort and built a bunch more cabins and added a whole host of uh, buildings to the place and started and continued on bringing in guests from all over the country. And so he ran it from about 80 or sorry, 46 to about 83. And then uh, my folks, uh, my dad, uh, and he ended up meeting his wife uh, here in Bozeman. Um, and they took it over in the early 80s. And they have continued the operation from the early 80s till uh, 2019. And then uh, most recently, my wife and I have uh, taken over the ranch and are continuing it on into our third generation and, and we just had our fourth generation here. So we have a young daughter. And, and congratulations before we turned on, we're on a zoom call. So people can only hear this, but I got to see Anna, the newest <laughs> member of your family and congrats. And she's adorable. So hopefully she will carry on the tradition uh, and history of it. But I think that's just listening to you. You know, I live in a suburban house and have a little, it's not even land, you know, it's just our yard. So there's no, we don't have attachment as part of our story to a house, a piece of property land. 
where obviously you just hearing your story, that's, that's much different. How, how do you describe that feeling of tradition and history and how it's intertwined to your, your personal story? Sure. I mean, yeah, the, the ranch is immensely important to myself and our family. Um, and it, it, I, I find that what you're saying is very true that not a lot of people, like I've grown up in the same house my entire life that my dad grew up his entire life that my grandfather lived the majority of his life in. And so there's a, a wow. huge amount of connection to that. Um, and, you know, we go to remodel something or do something and we end up just saving everything, even though we're not going to use it because it has so much history. And, you know, there's, you know, the board on the side of the door jam that has, you know, my dad's growing through his years heights uh, on the, you know, and then my height <laughs> on there as well. And so, you know, it's like, we can't throw that board away. We've got to save that board. And <laughs> yeah. so we end up collecting a lot of things because uh, there is so much history to it. And, uh, and it, it's been such a big part of our lives. How does that sort of guide your story going forward? Obviously saving stuff, but when you have a business that is third generation and really the business itself has been going on even longer than that um, per, per the history you just gave us, that's got to be different. You know, I've had businesses myself, but I don't have, I'm not making decisions based on the history of it. So, and being a family business, that's really got to play a huge role in how you want to change something. For example, you're the next generation. How do you go about changing that that said, Hey, my dad did it this way. And my grandfather did it this way, but I'm sure you have your own ideas waiting to jump in the, saddle, the proverbial saddle of running it and say, I've, I've got some ideas I want to implement here. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate line, you know, as you just described, you, there's, you know, just because we've done it that way, doesn't mean it necessarily has to stay that way, but at the same time, it kind of does. And, and a lot of the reason that people come back year after year to this place is that it doesn't change that much. You know, they can be here in the eighties and then come back this year and it would look generally the same and operate generally the same. And they like that, you know, as the world progresses and technology comes about and things are evolving very quickly uh, in the rest of the world, we're kind of slowing time down in a sense and, and making it not change too much. So it's a balance of what what can you change and what can't you change. Um, and, and so it, it, I guess it's kind of hard to answer that in the sense that we, you know, I think things that we have changed that are probably for the better are, you know, like our reservation systems and the communication between people. I mean, when my grandfather was doing it, it was all handwritten letters sent in the, the postal office mail which took a lot of time and, and, and now we can send emails and do everything online. And, and that doesn't necessarily change the feel once they arrive. So we right. can, you know, upgrade those sorts of things. And, and then once they get here, by and large, the program and the activities and the, the landscape and the ranch hasn't changed at all. And, uh, and so that's, I guess, a balance of, you know, up, keeping up with the times and being able to, advanced to some degree, but not changing the overall experience. No, that's great. I think, yeah, you really touched on it. Kind of the, the back, the operational side, but the front end experiences remain largely unchanged. And that leads me to the next question of, I've never personally been to a dude ranch. My wife has years ago with her family and stuff, but what's kind of your take? Because you touched on it there, technology and this I always, I'll say rail against some of, you know, the technology we're living on such razor margins of the outskirts. I mean, everything is available to us immediately here in the suburbs and the cities. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even understand where your milk actually comes from or your, <laughs> your beef, sadly, um, especially some of our kids, but they come there to kind of escape all that for a, a week or two weeks or whatever it is your, your folk come what's kind of the most rewarding thing maybe you can share a story or two 
that people get from that. And I was reading some of this stuff. There was a woman, she's been coming for three decades with her family and she's had multiple generations, something like that. So obviously her ranch, or excuse me, your ranch has become part of her story. Not many businesses, I don't think can say that. So that's kind of a unique perspective if you could maybe share some anecdotes of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I, um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily claim that it's myself or the Kelsey family that has necessarily changed their story or their life and maybe a little bit, but largely it's the ranch and the outdoors and being, you know, immersed in a, in a natural setting. Um, I, I'm often amazed at these families that come in, whether they're first time guests or guests that have been here for years and years in their normal life in suburbia or, or city life or wherever, they're always on their phone. They're always connected. They're always, you know, texting and doing different things and they get here and we don't have cell service. We have limited internet capabilities. And so their phone is kind of obsolete and it, you know, other than taking photos, you can't really do much without the, the internet or the service. So they, you watch them from, you know, check in on Sunday by Monday morning, they don't even know where their phone is and they're outside playing and riding horses and fishing and doing all these activities that are in nature. And it's, it's amazing to watch their um, transformation as they kind of realize that that phone isn't that important and that they can go out and still have a good time and be entertained and have lunch and dinner with mom and dad and, and enjoy just being a family in a, in a beautiful setting. Um, so it's, it's like, say it happens every week and it's, it's fun to watch these kids, especially that have grown up from technology being in their life, their entire lives to realizing that there are other things in life and, uh, and that nature is a pretty powerful influence, especially when you allow it to be. That nature piece, because not only is it the folks coming to your ranch, but given, you know, on our current political climate and all this stuff that's going on with nature and our protections of it. Um, and from someone whose livelihood, whose generations now have relied on nature and being connected with that, how do you, I'll say, feel about it? And then how do you reconcile as somebody who can speak from being out there, what's going on. And, and, and again, I preface not the political take, but just how you feel it relates to your story and your family's story. So it can give some of us that don't get to experience, but maybe one week a year coming to your ranch, the appreciation for what it means to somebody like yourself, nature and the land. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is a huge part of our, our daily lives and, and um, it, it dictates a lot of what we do. Uh, as I was saying earlier, it's a pretty harsh climate. And, uh, and so, you know, the weather really dictates what we do in a given day and, and how we interact with the, either the guests or the operations of the ranch. You know, if it's 40 below zero and snowing out, probably not going to be doing much, you know, logging or whatever it is out on the, on the landscape, just because it's so harsh out. Um, so it does influence your, your life quite considerably. And it's also, uh, how do I even say it? I mean, it's, it's such a big part of my life and I enjoy being in the outdoors. You mother nature will teach you a lot about yourself and, and how, how you interact with it. Um, you, you know, so much of man has tried to control everything. You know, we build a perfectly square house and a perfectly gridded subdivision that's, you know, we've, we've manipulated everything to conform to what we want. And nature is kind of the antithesis of that. And, you know, there's not a lot of straight lines and, sure. and easy paths and, and whatnot in, in a true wilderness setting. And so learning how to navigate the, the terrain and understanding topography and the weather and all of these things that uh, 
influence how you can get from A to B or how you can get the job done or, or whatnot. So it, it plays a significant role in my life, especially. And, but I love it. I mean, it's, it's there, I wouldn't change it for anything because it's so powerful and, and the things that you see the wildlife, especially, I mean, it's just amazing that these animals can survive in this sort of environment and they do very well and they thrive. You said it great right there. Mankind has tried to create the antithesis of nature or, the, or nature is the antithesis of mankind. We try to square everything off and <laughs> there are no perfect squares in nature. With that though, like you said, it's not an easy life. I'm sure you've probably had the opportunity to go off and you could have left the ranch and stuff, but just talking to you a few times, we've talked before this over the phone. And when we got on, you can hear it in your voice. You have a satisfaction, a, a happiness and ease within your voice that I think comes across, but yet your lifestyle, I think a lot of people would say that's crazy to have the weather dictate where we think of the weather here, or I grew up up North in Pennsylvania, the weather might dictate if you're on time to work because they haven't plowed the roads, but that's significantly different than the winter weather dictating you and the challenges, but you accept that. And it seems almost like you, you correct me if I'm wrong, relish the challenge that the lifestyle presents, if that's a way to put it, or, or, you know, describe it in your words, what, that challenge of your way of life. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're right. Uh, you, I do kind of relish it. I mean, obviously there are days where the wind's blowing and it's snowing or raining and, and you're kind of going, come on, give me a break here. Let me just get this project done. So it, it can certainly cause some frustration at times, but it, at the same time, I've come to realize from the guests coming here and, and my life outside of the ranch that very few people live like this nowadays, at least in America. And that makes it that much more fun for me because I know I'm doing something unique and it's, I guess it's who I am. It's more individualistic and it makes me, you know, I guess more proud of that, that there's not that many people that are fighting the elements like I am. Um, and maybe fighting is not the right word. Um, but anyway, you know what, you know what I'm saying? The, it's just, uh, it's a unique lifestyle and it presents a lot of challenges, but it also has shaped me into the person that I am. And you kind of learn to go with the flow and you can't, you can't always buck the system. I mean, if you're in a, an office building and you don't like something, you try to change the process or whatnot, but in nature, you can't go against mother nature for very long before they're going to, they're going to win or she's going to win. Right. So right. Uh, you learn to adapt and shift and, and um, like I say, it's been a huge influence on who I am today. I think a lot of us trying to take heat, especially over the last year, the explosion and, and being outdoors and people start to realize that we're all born with that innate intuitive sense but a lot of us have lost touch with it. Like you said, it's very unique that you, you get to experience that on a daily basis. And I hope that trend continues when things get quote back to normal, whatever that is, that people still seek that out to your point. It's, it's rewarding. It's in the struggle and mother nature makes the final call. <laughs> and whether you like it or not, you can, like you said, you can't, I think it is a fight sometimes think for people to keep in mind is that there's some there's some connection between man and nature that we can't forget and leads me into kind of personal thing again where I ask a lot of folks is what's one thing that you can't get rid of now you already mentioned the stuff on the ranch because of the tradition and but maybe it's something else that because of the lifestyle or whatever it is um, what's one thing you couldn't get rid of uh, I would say our horses. And I know that's not one single thing, but it counts. we have about a hundred head of horses and they're all born, raised and trained here on the ranch. And whether it's myself or some of our staff helping do that, um, they're a part of our family. And we have a, probably a, a bigger connection to our horses than not, maybe not most people, but th than some people. 
we selectively bred them. We, you know, helped fold them out. We raised them up. We've trained them. And so they're very connected to myself and our family. Even if the ranch was no longer, I would still have horses um, because I enjoy that connection to those animals and to be able to ride them around this country and see the other wildlife and, and nature that it provides. Uh, so that's probably the thing that I would not get rid of. Wow. How often do you get to get out with your family or friends on personal rides and get to see the country and stuff? Um, it it kind of depends. I mean, we try to get out as much as we can. Uh, it is tough. Like I said, this time of year, we, we're sitting under a couple feet of snow. And so riding in, in snow, at least that deep, is rather challenging mm-hmm. and strenuous on the horse. So the wintertime doesn't lend itself to a lot of uh, riding opportunities, at least right in this specific area. Um, but in the summertime, we're on horseback every day doing something, whether it's training horses or taking guests out on rides or going on family pack trips. It's certainly a big influence on our lives and, and my life in particular. Wow. Now, the flip side of that is what's something that you think you could get rid of? <laughs> I, I was asking my wife this question because uh, you had posed it prior to this call and <laughs> I, I struggle with this one because it's not that I couldn't get rid of something, but as I was saying, I guess I, to short, the answer is we could get rid of some of the stuff that's on the ranch, all the, the, the junk that we've collected over the years. Um, but at the same time, it has such nostalgic value and we're probably never going to use it again, but you know, that was my grandfather's teapot that you have to use on the wood burning stove to heat it up or what, you know, and it's like, well, I don't really want to get rid of that, even though I'm never going to use it. Right. Uh, right. One thing I would like to do is clean out some of the stuff that we will never use, but uh, we, but we I'll give up- you, I'll, I'll give you a pass on that Cameron, because a lot of us can get rid of stuff and we don't use it, but there's no history behind it. So <laughs> You get a bit of a pass because yours has a lot more history. Ours, our history, at least in my household, is is maybe ten years old, and we haven't used it. So it's, very few things have been passed down for three or four generations. We'll let you go on that one. So you have Anna, fourteen months old, fourth generation essentially on the ranch. Tell me about how that's changed, how you think about your story, and what you want to impart to her in terms of creating her own story. What does that mean to you now having, having a a 14 month old? Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly been a a change, so to speak. And uh, I guess I've come to realize that I was maybe a little more self-centered than I probably should have been prior to children and realizing that, uh, what I want isn't always what the, the best thing is. And so understanding that there are other people's lives affected by your life and that you can't just go off into the mountains for a week at a time and leave your wife and baby back home. And, and my wife probably wouldn't say, you haven't changed at all. What are you talking about? That's <laughs> you know, looking, at, looking at her or watching her grow and, and realizing that I do need to be around and be a part of her life and show her the things that I've learned from my parents and teach her the, the way that we do things around the ranch and also expose her to other sides of the world so that she can see kind of the diverse array of what mankind has done with their lives and let her choose her path to what she wants to do. And whether that's stay here at the ranch and continue it on or go off and work somewhere else. Um, I certainly don't want to pressure her into thinking she has to stay or anything. And, and I think my folks handled that very well, allowing us to choose our path. And I have a, a brother and a sister and they're somewhat involved in the ranch, but they don't do the day-to-day operations and, and aren't here every single day. And they've chosen careers outside of the ranch. And so it was never forced on us to be here, but it was kind of, if you want to be here, we'll support that and we'll be a part of that. And, and so I want to try to do the same for my children as they grow up and expose them to all the options, but let them kind of choose their path and go from there. Okay. Your, your daughter's a little young yet, but sure. you see a lot of kids on the ranch. It looks like you have a great kids program too. I do these Monday Nugget podcasts and kind of 
railed a bit against what I'll say that a large portion of society in the U.S. in terms of protection of our kids and how much we you've heard the term helicopter parents, things like that. I'm in an environment we get to see a lot of that. You're far removed, obviously geographically, but mentally too. So seeing kids from the city come in and interacting where, for example, you're talking horses, thousand pound animals and being in the wilderness, there is risks involved. Like you said earlier, as as we've almost done that to our kids, I think in a way of trying to box and square everything off and make it neat for them. What's that interaction you've had over the years with those kids and what they get out of it and get to experience and how it changes them? Because that's really important thing is the next generation. Sure. It's generally the kids will adapt and learn and grow really quickly. It's the parents that are sometimes the harder struggle, like you say, the helicopter parent. And so for like our program with the kids, we have kind of age groups that we group kids into and then do different activities with them according to their age. We have a program called our Rough Rider program, and it's for children six to nine years old. You know, that's the age, about six is about the age that most kids can control a horse and teach them how to go where they want them to and whatnot. You know, much younger than that, they're not strong enough to, to, to pull the horse around or do whatever we put those kids in a, in a group and we have a dedicated wrangler that takes them out on the rides and we don't let the parents go with them because it's the mom saying, oh gosh, pull your reins up. Oh, stop. No, don't do that. Oh, and, and it, it's stressing the kid out. And if you kind of remove the parent and say, okay, you go on your own ride and you go do your own activity, we're going to take these kids. We have trained uh, staff to take care of them. They're going to be just fine within 15 minutes of leaving the parents, they're having a ball and they're having more fun. And you can see them kind of come out of their shell. And as you were saying, they, you know, we all have this innate sense. We all grew up in nature, you know, may have been two generations or five generations ago, but we kind of come back to it pretty quickly. And you can see these kids come out of their shell. And by the end of the week, they're loping their horse across the pasture and just having a ball. And the parents would have never believed that their kid could accomplish that That's... because it has been so structured and you go from here to there and you know, I drive you the whole time and, and it's very controlled. You know, what we found is like, say, you kind of take the parent away for that short little time. And we're not saying this family vacation, you're just excluded from your children the whole time. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that specific activity, horseback riding in general, parents are very nervous because like you said, they're a big, strong, powerful animal. And there is risks, but at the same time, we're putting you on horses that we have raised our entire lives and we know where they're coming from and what their capabilities are. And we can look at a child and know what his capabilities are pretty closely. You know, they're going to take that and go with it and grow pretty rapidly. Oh, that's fantastic. I love you mentioned the word, they come out of their shell. It goes back to the parents. Really, the parents are creating the shell half the time, I think. And they don't even know it. You love your kids. It's like I said in that that brief podcast, we all, if asked, those of us that have kids, what's the worst thing that could happen in your life? Most of us say something to our kids. We try to protect them, shell them off, but yet at the same time, we're doing almost more harm. Like you said, they come out of their shell. They connect the modern society removes a lot of that connectedness to nature. I've, I've been on horses, I mean, not nearly as much, but I've, I've had the good fortune. My aunt and uncle have had horses ever since I was a kid. So we always got to go up to their farm and, and ride them. And it's one of those unique experiences, I think, if you haven't done it, to get on a horse and ride through country I, I will never do it justice sitting here talking about it until you do it. Yeah. Maybe somebody out there is listening, a mom, a dad saying, a six or seven-year-old saying, looking at him like, no way my kid could ever sit on top of an animal like that and can, can control it. And you're here to testify <laughs> that they can, they, they can. can, they can. What does your story through all this history, the third generation being on a dude ranch, doing something that's unique, so interconnected with nature. What does that mean to your story? And what do you want 
your story to mean to others as well? What I want my story to mean to others. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I've thought about that in, in depth lately. Um, You're too busy ra raising a 14 month old. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like to learn. I like to observe and, you know, industry in this job provides a lot of that, you know, whether it's, doing construction and remodeling a cabin or learning from a guest that has lived in a different country or different state and seen a different way of life. And so I always like to talk to the guests and our staff included that, that come from all different walks of life. And so I like to, you know, see how others live and I enjoy learning different processes and understanding the world from a, a more well-rounded sense, I guess. And, and so I'm always trying to learn. And, and I guess the thing that I'm trying right now to learn is to, to uh, be a better leader, whether it's leading a, a staff of 25 crew members or leading a trail ride or, or just being that, I guess, natural leader that people feel confident to follow and you know, aren't, I guess, nervous or unsettled by. And and then being, like say, a leader that uh, that takes, takes them on and, and shows them that they are capable of, of certain things. Uh, learning and leadership, those are two great qualities. And you've got several facets in terms of leadership, not only your staff, but guests that, that come every sure. week. You're in a unique position. But you also mentioned the, the learning piece. You have the opportunity and, and don't dismiss it. You take advantage of it from all those people you get to interact with from around the country, sometimes I'm sure around the world. What are some of those unique things you've learned from those people and maybe how it's changed your perspective on, I'll be cliche, humanity and us as humans and stuff, having those different interactions. Sure. Boy, it's hard to nail down one specific thing. I think as you grow in life, you know, you kind of take little tidbits here and there from one person or the other. And so I guess defining it down to one specific thing that I've learned is maybe a little challenging, but to be more open-minded. And I think that would do our country and our world a lot of good. And whether it's politics or, or nature, trying to see it from somebody else's perspective and understand that, you know, I grew up here and I might see some political move or something as, as great or, or not great and, and vice versa on their side. And so understanding, you know, how their environment and their way of life has influenced that perspective and, and understanding that and trying to kind of sit there and go, oh, I can see what they're saying. I may not necessarily agree with it, but I can understand what they're coming from. In this world, you meet a lot of people from all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, religions, whatever. And being understanding is, is what I've learned, I think, the most is to just, you know, let them speak and listen to what they're saying and and try to understand it from their perspective. And uh, like I say, you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but you can at least listen and try to learn something. Yeah, maybe what you said right there too, in terms of all the people you meet from all walks of life, they all come to your ranch because it goes back to that innate need in humans to be connected to nature yeah. and the natural world. No matter your ethnicity, no matter your political views, you get all of them. Yeah, the true melting pot. And it's funny that they'll come to a place like yours to do that. The news would tell you otherwise. Yeah, it's the great equalizer, if you will. Yeah. Uh, it's almost a uh, you can always find that common denominator that does connect you. And that's this place and horseback riding, fishing, nature, all those things. They they chose us out. We didn't you know force anybody to come here. So they've obviously cho chosen to come here. So you can always build off of that. And you might have drastically different views, but the common denominator is this ranch. And so that allows you to connect with them in that way. And then you can kind of build on that throughout the week and get to know them and understand, you know, why they chose to come to a place like this and why maybe they think the way they do and versus the way I do. Sure, sure. And the common denominator of you can all agree that watching a sunset over those mountains out there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No matter what you believe in the world, that's pretty awesome sight. Things like that. Yeah. You mentioned learning 
you, you always like to learn from other people. What are you learning about? You're kind of snowed in for the winter. Things, I guess, slow down a little bit. I know there's always stuff to do, but sure. anything you're you're learning about now? Well, we're um, we had a a water leak in our kitchen uh, this fall, and it flooded our floors and kind of soaked up the walls and whatnot. So we ended up having to go through and gut our entire kitchen. This is our, our commercial kitchen for the, the ranch, not our home. Okay. And, uh, and so we've torn everything down. And, and I guess right now I'm learning about log construction. All of our buildings are made out of log. And this particular building was built in the 1920 or 1820s. No, yeah, it's about 100 years old. Wow. Logs are rotting to some degree or just deteriorating over time. And so we're trying to support the building and jack things up and replace a log or uh, do that sort of thing. So I'm constantly on uh, YouTube University <laughs> learning how to right. do things or, or call and, you know, contractors that have worked on log buildings and try and understand how to do it. So we're doing a lot of construction at the moment and it's been a lot of learning on how to shore up a log building that's really old, but we can't just go and replace the whole thing. We've got to try to make do with what we've got. Wow. Uh, as I was saying too, you know, leadership is something I'm always striving to be better at. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts or books or books on tape, things like that about how to be a better leader. Kind of what I do on my drive time is learn about how to lead people better. And I, I look at my grandfather, he was an incredible leader. He could talk anybody into doing something and, and getting them to do it. And they would ultimately enjoy the heck out of it. I, I didn't get to know him that well. He was two when I passed. And so I you know, hear a lot of stories or guests that come back that have been here when he was here. And they tell me all these you know, stories about him. And so I guess I strive to be a little more like my, my grandfather in that sense and, and try to learn how to, to be a better leader. That's really cool, though. So you're sort of learning about your grandfather's leadership style, not directly from the fam from him or from generations, but from the guests, just from hearing guests, the stories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you made an interesting comment here earlier. You were talking about that lady that's come for multiple generations, and, and you said her ranch, and that's very much the case. Like These guests that have come here 20, 30, 40 years, they say, oh, my ranch up in Montana. Right. And they, you know, have a very big sense of ownership in it, even though they don't own anything. Right, they right, just, right. They have that connection. And it's it's interesting to watch these old time guests come because they think it, that they have more connection to it than I do because they were here before I was even born. <laughs> and and so they're like, well, when your your grandfather used to do it this way, or he now they're always kind of pressuring you to try to do what they want to do even right. if it's, you know, probably not the safest thing or whatever. Um, and, and so it's interesting to watch them and, and they always are sending, I mean, we just got a brochure in the mail here from a guest that came back in the, I think it was 56. Um, they, you know, that lady's no longer alive, but her kids were cleaning out the closet and they found old pamphlets and brochures and handwritten letters from my grandfather and they send it back because they don't necessarily want it, but I'm sure they think that we'll find it interesting. And we do, we, we find it very interesting. And what he would write in their spring letter that they would send out to all the guests and talking about the winter and all the animals and things. And it's just fun to get those little snippets throughout the years of, oh, your grandpa did it this way, or he, this is how he talked me into doing this. So how would you, hearing those stories, how would you describe your grandfather's leadership style? Oh man, he was a very charismatic, fun, loving guy that liked to enjoy life. And I think he was a lot like, I mean, he was like most people that came back from the war that started all these recreationally based activities. You know, they had seen and done things in, in the war that most people can't even understand or couldn't you know, wrap their head around. And so when he got back, he was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to go ride and hunt and fish in the mountains and take people to do that because that's what brings me joy. And I think it would bring joy to a lot of other people to have that ambition at that time frame is pretty remarkable. Like that's when Sun Valley and all these ski resorts and things started to take off because people were, like I say, they were sick of 
fighting the whole time and they want to do something more fun. And so for him to come out here in the mid forties, this place was essentially in the middle of nowhere. And you had to be a very, very determined person to make a living and a business out of this environment for the preceding 50 years, people had tried it and probably most likely failed because it was so harsh and so remote and just a a giant struggle. And he was determined to do it and he didn't have a lot of money, but he borrowed and begged and pleaded and, you know, found a way to, to make it happen. So he's just really resilient and determined, but empower people to think that that's the way to go and, and to get them to do it. Yeah. And share, like you said, a little, uh, that joy. Yeah. Ro- remote, rugged, a tough living, but yet joyful. But joyful. Yeah. Right. That It's yeah. like a paradox and people think in a lot of ways, if I get more, if I chase more comfort, that'll bring more joy. Joy. And that lifestyle is completely opposite. You're never going to be that comfortable. Comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. But he was, he sounded like he was pretty joyful as you are too. And you get to, you know, share, like you said, bring people in to share in that. I mean, I guess you kind of touched on it there too. It's like, if you have someone build your house, when you go to lay down at night, you're not necessarily that tired, but you sleep all right. But when you build that house yourself and the bed you sleep in, you sleep a lot better because you, yeah, you put in a huge day of work and you know that you did the prod, you did it the way you wanted it done. And, uh, and yeah, so that's yeah. well, I think it's more rewarding in a sense. I'm with you. I dabble in woodworking on the side. I've built some piece of furniture in our house and it always is more rewarding whether we're sitting around my feeble attempt at a kitchen table, but yeah. it's my kids sitting at that table. Uh, it was funny. One of our friends, uh, mom saw it and she was actually going to buy it. And my wife's like, no, you can't sell that. I mean, it was made yeah. out of Home Depot lumber, really. I just prettied it up. She's like, no, because you made it and we're sitting here at dinner. You know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but we could get a couple hundred bucks for it. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to that piece and working with your hands and you learning about like the log cabin, that's that's a whole nother level. You can't just go and tear out the walls and put up new drywall it's a log home. Yeah. The extra work and effort that goes into it, but the reward of once you get done, sounds like you're still in the process of of doing that rehab. So (laughs) it's probably not the time to bring it up. There's not, maybe, can you see the light at the end of the tunnel with it? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're making headway. Uh, We're, we're doing well. And, and uh, it's, it's been a fun project. Like say there are days that are frustrating when you, can't get it right. But uh, then you you learn and you talk to somebody else and say, well, what do you try this way? And, and, and so it's, it's coming along. And I think like, say, I'm going to be very happy with the outcome at the end and it'll be a very nice addition or remodel to the place. Awesome. I'll try to put another heavy question on you to end with here, talking about all that, that history and the effort of building a house, like a log cabin, a solid structure. And I think just in talking to you, Cameron, it's been really fun and enlightening to hear your story is based around a lot of the, I'll say for lack of a better term, we all say it's simpler things, living in one with the land, living with your horses. It's a a much different way of life than a lot of us get to experience. And that creates a, a much different story than a lot of us get to experience. So with your daughter now coming into the picture and being part of that story, when it's your time, what do you want your story not only mean to you, but mean to her? Have you thought about that at all? That's, that is a good one. I, I guess I, I hope that she takes away that I, you know, was a, a good father and a, and a good leader and a mentor to a lot of people. And that, you know, she has the option to, to make her own path. And, and I hope she takes a little bit of what I've learned over the years and, and will continue to learn. I don't know. It's probably not answering your question. Exactly. No, trying to, to think about it at, while I'm speaking here. And that's okay. Honestly, sometimes it's more questions for, for thought. Yeah. 
it's why I like talking to people like you because it makes me think just as well. And I don't have a, a defined answer even for my boys. It's the same thing. I was sure. a little bit unfair putting you on the spot when I probably couldn't answer it either. But sure. it's um, really fun conversation and just getting to hear your perspective and a bit of your story. But I do want to give you the opportunity to tell everyone the website and where they should go, because I think if somebody hears this out there, I would strongly encourage them take the opportunity to go out, hang with Cameron, his family on the ranch and the horses and all that. Where should they go for info? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, our website is ninequartercircle.com. I'm sure you can just type that into Google or whatever search platform you use. Um, and we have a, a great website. There's lots of information and videos and whatnot, you know, also YouTube and Facebook and all the, the social media stuff. Uh, we have videos on those and, and our Facebook page and whatnot. Um, so you can kind of see the, see the landscape and, and the ranch and, and myself. Uh, we're coming up this, this year, 2021 is our 75th anniversary of Kelsey family ownership. If you, there was ever a year to come and join us, it's, it's this year as we're, you know, kind of celebrating a milestone. And, and uh, I think people are probably ready to start traveling again. Well, hopefully we can, you know, move beyond uh, what, what's happening in the current world right now and continue our lives. So yeah, w- welcome anyone to come join us and, and experience our way of life. Awesome, man. We'll get out there if you get an opportunity this summer and visit Cameron and the and his family and the ranch. Thanks yeah. so much, Cameron, for, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Not only was that a lot of fun, and I don't know about you, but I learned a lot from Cameron as someone who has had a very different story than my own. His connection to the history, tradition, and especially the land and horses is uncommon in our modern society. Even if we can afford the time only briefly I think his journey in the story of the ranch highlights how rejuvenating spending time and nature can be. I want to thank Cameron again for taking the time away from his family and out of his busy schedule running the ranch to share his story with the rest of us. To finish, as always, if you or someone you know is in the middle of writing a great story, we'd love to be inspired by you. You can Shoot me an email at brian at brianerlich.com or go to soulcrafttribe.com and drop me a line there. Love to have you on. And if you care to share, give a thumbs up or comment on whatever platform you're on. I am humbly thankful for all of them. Until next time, tribe, have a great day.